Hey, hey, welcome to episode 42 of the Authors Read Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Michael Bianco Splan, and he'll read from his book, Dying to Live, a Tapestry of Reinvention. Be present, learning to live differently. We are connected in more ways than we can imagine. As energetic entities, human beings are electromagnetic, superconductive miracles that exchange energy between themselves and others. Is your output positive or negative energy? Pay attention to those you interact with, and you will see quite clearly how your energy is received. Being present requires tuning in on the frequency that touches others from a point of love, compassion, and understanding. This frequency is of a higher order, resonating from the heart. The present is a canvas upon which we can paint infinite possibilities. Living outside the present in sickness, denial, and darkness limits our view, creating a myopic, caged existence as was the case with me in March 1990. How does a soul arrive at a point where there is only one choice to be made, life or death? There were no what-ifs or middle-ground complexities to consider for me on that dark period of 1990. It had come down to whether I chose to live or die. I was perfectly capable of making this choice. Death presented the sole question of how. But that was never a challenge in my thinking. Any number of means could work. Living, on the other hand, would require monumental change and pain. I would have to confront massive amounts of fear, anger, and loss. Yet, I had come to a juncture in my life at age 35 when something had to be done one way or the other. I simply could not endure any longer. How would my life spiral to this point? The picture was grim in March 1990. My entire life was spinning out of control. I was incapable of thinking straight and acutely sick on all fronts. I had a recurring dream over the months before I hit bottom. In the dream, suicide was an option. I lay in eerie darkness in hues of brown, rust, and deep blood red. I was outside my body and I could see it still and rigid. A black veil moved slowly from my feet toward my head, wafting inches above my body. As the veil reached my waist, then my abdomen, moving upward toward my chest, I saw that death was imminent. I would awake, heart racing, head pounding. I was sick mentally, emotionally, and physically. I had lost all hope. I had blackouts five days every week. I could barely put sentences together. My eyes had gone dim with yellow and perpetual red where white once was. I was dying and the recurrent dream foretold my future. March 29, 1990 was a typical day at SUNY Albany where I was working with Steve, changing ballast and lighting fixtures around the campus. Steve noticed that day that I was particularly low not at all conversational, and deeply depressed. I told him I needed to use the restroom, and I slipped away from the job. I needed to be alone to collect my distorted thoughts. I I felt as though I was coming apart at the seams. What to do? I could kill myself, was my first thought. It would have been much easier than the other choice, which flooded my soaked brain. 
Without thinking and almost as though being controlled by someone else, I decided to call my doctor's office, a general practitioner I had seen a couple times for colds and a sinus infection. When the receptionist asked me if it was an emergency, I said, yes. She asked what the situation was. I said, I am suffering and I need help. She told me to come right in. I returned to Steve and told him that I wasn't feeling well and I needed to leave to see my doctor. Steve told me he was happy that I was doing so. It was around 11.30 a.m. and the drive from Albany to Rotterdam took about 20 minutes. During the ride, my mind was consumed with whether I should steer the car in a different direction, get a gun from my brother's dresser, and end it all. The alternative of meeting with my doctor meant telling him that I was depressed and needed help. Was I ready for that? Even in my state, I knew that if I chose to seek help, it would radically change my life. What I knew, but did not acknowledge, was that I was alcoholic, sick, and damaged. To make this choice would not be easy. Did I have the courage? I do not remember having any dialogue with God for a long time, but this morning, I asked God to help me, pleading with him to show me the way. Tears formed in my eyes as I continued to drive to the appointment. I told my doctor I was deeply depressed and needed help. He reacted quickly. Later that day at Ellis Hospital in Schenectady, I met with Dr. Habib, a staff psychiatrist who within 60 seconds asked me, how much do you drink? It was the first time in my life that I was honest in sharing that information. I told him the truth that most days I would consume between 12 and 24 cans of beer with occasional shots of liquor. I told him that most nights I would not fall asleep but rather pass out. I told him that I had no recollection of my actions most evenings and that I'd been drinking heavily for the last 10 years and less than the previous 10. I told him I could not remember a day in the last five years that I had not drunk alcohol. I told him that when I lived in New York City, I combined cocaine in large amounts with drinking nonstop for days at a time. Dr. Habib said I needed to stop drinking. When I mentioned that I was considering suicide as a viable option, he wanted to admit me to the hospital immediately. After I convinced him that I would not be taking my life that evening, he reluctantly let me leave, but said that if I did not contact him at 9 the following morning, he would be sending the police and an ambulance to pick me up. March 29, 1990 was the day I stopped putting alcohol into my body. But life did not get easier. I now face the question, what next? To stay out of a forced hospital inpatient program, I agreed to attend an outpatient rehab program affiliated with Ellis Hospital. LifeStart was an alcohol and drug rehabilitation center on Union Street in Schenectady. The six-week program consisted of two-hour sessions three days a week, mostly with a group of others trying to find a glimmer of hope for living without substance abuse. During this program, I learned a great deal about the progression of alcoholism, the stages of deterioration, and the symptomatic phases that a human being goes through as the disease progresses. I learned that I was in the latter stages of the disease, and according to research data, death was not far off from me. This surprised me because all along I had maintained the justification that somehow I was not as sick as one might think, that I had some control. 
The program showed me that I was gravely mistaken. Consciously, I was not cognizant of the fact that I was attempting to kill myself, yet I was in a savage manner. The catalyst for this self-imposed brutality remained a mystery. Even if I had been told straight on, I would not have had the capacity to understand. I was very sick. As toxic as I was on that 1990 day, I understood the duress and work attached to my decision to live. The recovery process was torturous. It required a level of strength and faith of monumental proportions, particularly during the first year. My cells and body systems had normalized to the ingestion of alcohol in large quantities for such a long period of time that removing it blew all circuit breakers, shutting down systems, and leaving me reeling in horrendous sickness. I had trouble sleeping for months. Digestion from intake through processing to excretion was in shambles. Diarrhea was normal for me during the first two years. The whites in my hazel eyes did not return for multiple seasons. My intellect and vocabulary were decimated. I struggled to string a cogent sentence together for well over a year before words started to come naturally. When I started drinking alcoholically, which was close to 20 years prior, my normal emotional growth stopped. It took me years to uncover some of the rudimentary emotions that others feel naturally, such as anger, love, self-worth, security, joy, and gratitude. There were demolition to be done before reconstruction could occur. Dr. Habib recommended Alcoholics Anonymous as an organization that would help me. One thing was certain, I needed help. For the first time in my life, I openly acknowledged that I, left to my own devices, could not do it. The hiding, the falseness, the massive amount of energy required to live alcoholic and maintain a pretense of normality, the uncertainty that I might kill someone while driving drunk or arrested or thrown in jail, all these daily segments of my self-contained and totally self-consumed life had been exposed. I needed help. The dark, deep clinical depression set in just days after removing the alcohol. Conscious leadership demands presence of body, mind, and spirit. One of the greatest tools we possess as human beings is choice. Our thoughts create our intentions, which lead to our choices. Choices then determine our reality. What reality do you choose? Being present to choice gives you the opportunity to choose differently. Most of us operate on autopilot, living our daily existence in a pattern that becomes second nature, just the way we do things. Honest self-appraisal may lead us to the position that, the way things are, might not be the most optimal way to live our life, both personally and professionally. When we become present to our choices, we step into an elevated state of awareness. And when we are aware of our state of awareness, we step into consciousness. I have learned by my own example the power of consciousness in making choices to lift others up, spending the extra 10 seconds actually connecting with the human being in front of me. That human being, your employee, your spouse, your child, the neighbor, the person you meet on the street, they all feel a different connection when you tune in to being present. I'd like to thank Michael for sharing his book with us today. And thank you for listening to the Authors Read Podcast. 
Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!